Hello and welcome to episode three of the Grumpy Collector Podcast. I'm Troy McHenry. If you like what you hear today, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show on your streaming platform of choice. Um, as I've said before, we're doing uh, odd episode numbers uh, are going to be all around watches. Even uh, numbered episodes are going to be all around um, craft and other collectibles. On this week's episode, we're going to talk all about the recent Geneva-based watch auctions and the results that have been going on uh, in closing over the past uh, couple of weeks. There is a lot to unpack. Today's episode is titled, Going Once, Going Twice, Sold! The 2021 Fall Watch Auction Review. And without further ado, yeah, your life just got better. first order of business i'm hoping you hear a difference i've just switched up my microphone the first two episodes of the podcast were recorded with a bluetooth wireless headset and i decided to splurge for a sure mv7 podcast microphone that's hardwired into the computer you know it's only the best for our grumpy listeners and so um hope it makes a difference and really i hope it um increases uh maybe just a little bit your enjoyment uh, of the podcast. Also, quick addendum from yet uh, last week's episode. I couldn't imagine uh, when we were talking about coffee mugs and cups. I failed to mention Cat and Roger, which to me, outside of East Fork, is probably the epitome of um, hype uh, cups. Their cups go instantly when they drop on their website. Um, really interesting. They really though are that really rare item where they have a strong foot in craft and a strong foot in art because each one's unique um i'll put the in the show notes the addendum just because you should check them out it's not worth talking about again really but um they're, they're pretty awesome and then also with heath ceramics another one i was planning to talk about when i had come up with my notes i'm actually not a huge fan of their cups they have these kind of small weird handles but um if you're doing some research i would still highly encourage people to look to um uh, look up both. But anyways, enough of that. Let's stop talking about cups for a change and let's get to the meat of it, which is watches. Um, today's topic, the fall watch calendar is just jam-packed. A lot of people refer to this as like Geneva watch auction week uh, because there's a lot of auctions going on. Most of the big auction houses um, you know, have auctions that take place in Geneva, Switzerland in the fall traditionally that you know it's great as a collector because you could if you're you know a high dollar collector you would fly into geneva and you just kind of go day to day you know auction and raise your paddle during the day party at night um sounds like a pretty good plan to me um and i'll also do a plug if you don't read rescapement newsletter it's on substack by tony you should definitely check it out i'll put it in the show notes he did a wonderful write-up today, Tuesday, November 9th, with his particular insights, um, uh, you know, along with his interest in some of the auction results. Because I think um, just great analysis. We won't cover that. There's so much more to, to cover besides what he did. And no point rehashing it. Um, there's there's stuff for everyone to kind of tease and, and pick on. And all of us have different interests. I'm not 
buying paddock Philippe's. And so to me, that's not a place I roll in. I've never been a huge Cartier fan either. There's a few a few models I really like, but otherwise they don't really do it for me. So those things, when I see them pop up at auction or I look at the auction results, unless it's something really jumps out at me, um, I don't pay too much attention to that. But there are definitely other watches I'll, I'll call out, which I think are super interesting. We're going to be covering five auctions that have all closed in the last uh, 10 days. Two charity auctions. The inaugural Pink Dial project, it ended October 31st. I think this was maybe um, Waco's baby along with quite a few other people. Um, it got covered by all the main watch media. Um, of course, obviously, the Rake and Revolution 2. Uh, another charity auction, Only Watch, ended November 6th. Really interesting results there, too. We'll talk about all of those. And then there's three regular watch auctions I want to cover. There's actually a lot of lesser-known auction houses also do auctions, but we'll hit on the, to me, what's the three big ones, which is Phillips, Antiquorum, and Christie's. So let's get into it. The first auction I wanted to cover was the charity auction, the inaugural Pink Dial Project that ended October 31st. Pretty small auction. It was uh, listed on loopthis.com, uh, just 20 lots. Again, this marks the inaugural auction. Um, it was to raise funds to fight breast cancer. Um, the really neat thing about this is all 20 watches um, had a, a pink dial was was the theme for it. And it was really interesting to see how each of the brands who donated watches kind of tackled that of, you know, what model did they pick maybe from their existing lineup and then to, uh, you know, craft a one-off pink dial version of it. Um, and I, I fail, failed to mention that it was in a partnership with Fratello Watches, Loop This, Time and Tide, and the Eye of Jewelry. Um, every dollar raised will go to uh, the Union of International Cancer Control. Um, what I thought was so interesting about this, um, well, one, I think there were some real bargains here. And when you think about Only Watch, which is the auction we'll talk about next, uh, which is also a charity auction, you know, and it's, we're getting ahead of ourselves too, that, you know, with charity auctions, you can't, the prices don't reflect reality, right? Because you're going to give more than what would be fair market value, even beyond, you know, um, buyer's premium that would get tacked on uh, because you're buying something that's one of one. So it's almost like buying art. And so it's really hard to know what you know something's worth because you're going to give more because it's all going to a good cause uh, which is great and it's awesome that collectors you know open their hearts and their their pocketbooks uh, for these kind of themed auctions um but within that i think you can still unpack a little bit uh from you know how much are people valuing this right and a, a bid a, and a dollar amount that gets realized is only after two or more people were bidding on it until someone finally dropped out. And so it's not just one person who, who really wanted it. Um, you know, looking at the pink dial project, the Zenith Chronomaster revival, kind of the cover girl with the ladder bracelet, it sold for 32,000. I think that this is a one of one, you know, Zenith El Primero in that classic a, you know, three, eight, one, eight case. I think that's a fantastic deal. And when you consider, um, 
you know, the things that went for that comparable price that was one of one at Only Watch, um, I think that Zenith is a total bargain. Um, but it was amazing some of these other ones that that came through. I'll tell you first too, Troy's personal pick here, the Oris Pro Pilot um, Excalibur 115. This sold for $11,388. This watch is amazing. I've held the regular production model. It's titanium case, titanium integrated bracelet, you know, that in-house manufactured um, movement that has a 10-day, and it's kind of like a non-linear power reserve on the dial. It is a killer watch, and it really is the very top-of-the-line watch that uh, Oris makes and the skeleton dial is super cool. And then, you know, in the watch regularly retails for, I think over $7,000 and they get a one of one pink dial and it sold for 11,000. Um, whoever bought that got a heck of a deal if you ask me. Um, but it also, I think goes to show maybe at the high end, a lot of people are thinking, uh, oh, maybe, um, it's not worth it, um, you know, to to buy an Oris. Maybe there's not enough bragging rights associated to it. But for a watch to wear every day um, and is super unique, uh, man, I, that's where my money would go. <laughs> the very next lot after that, and I should mention there was 31 bids on that Oris. Um, so there was still some people um, fighting for it. But the very next lot was the the Mad Edition, right? The the Max Buser and Friends that um you know mad one which you know really got people <clears throat> wound up when this originally came out this year because it wasn't available to the general public um the versions of these it uses a myota you know 821a movement um, but it's really cool the rotors on top looks almost like a spinning battle axe and then to read the time it's two different discs at six o'clock on the side of the case. Super cool watch. It's great to hear, um, you know, when Max Buser was on uh, talking watches on um, Hodinkee that he's going to be coming out with a similar version for the general public next year because there's been a lot of um, interest in getting this. And I think when it was um, sold this year as a limited uh, edition just to existing MBMF uh, collectors, you know, it was like a couple thousand dollar watch. This one sold for $172,000, bids. Um, without a doubt, and again, it's for charity, so you can't say anything's like, you know, tied to reality here. But think about it. A watch, and the estimate was $2,500, mind you too, which is probably the retail of what it was, the, the regular um, LE. But a Myota movement watch sold for $172,000. Just, it's amazing to me. Um, super generous on the, on the people who were, were bidding on those. Um, and it is a cool watch. Um, not, not exactly my thing, but I, I can totally appreciate it. Um, you know, when you think of other hot brands, like I think of the IWC, you know, it sold for just $24,000 and this was their new 43, um, millimeter, um, big pilot, 
you know, it kind of looks like the old pilot, but without the power reserve on the dial at three o'clock, um, or to me, it looks more like a Mark 18, but without, uh, a date wheel, um, but still has that cool kind of like diamond, uh, or onion crown. Um, you know, it sold for 24,000. And again, that watch new, you know, the regular price on them, um, you know, is, uh, over $9,000. So, um, kind of a, a big premium, but again, that's, a you know, kind of a marquee watch brand. Um, you know, the one, a couple others on here that I thought were so interesting was, um, Anne Dane, you know, the, the Scottish kind of micro brand, um, did a really interesting pink linen dial and they even changed the eight on the dial. So instead of looking like a traditional eight, it looks like the breast cancer awareness ribbon, um, really nice touch, you know, that sold for, uh, $6,500. Um, you know, I think a regular model there would be, uh, probably between like one and $1,000 Um, the, the, <laughs> and then, you know, the one I would probably wrap up is most surprising, um, that it actually looks pretty good is the ball watch engineer. It sold for, um, $5,000, you know, the regular price on this watch is almost 3000. So this is not a huge premium to get a one of one watch. Um, but I will hand it to ball and I'm not usually a huge uh, ball fan, but man, if they didn't just pick the best pinks to put on this dial and then the bezel matches really nicely. And of course it still has all of those tritium tubes, um, for the indices and for the hands. I think it's fantastic. Um, so check these out. Uh, the link to this auction, all of the auctions we're going to cover today are going to be um, in the show notes on, uh, you know, the grumpy collector.com. So uh, if you want to find these without having to Google, just go there and uh, you'll, you'll be able to find them just, just fine. The next watch auction we can cover is only watch. And this was actually hosted by Christie's. They kind of run it uh, for them. Um, as whereas the Pink Dial project just had 20 lots, Only Watch had, uh, this year had 53 lots. Um, and of course, it's also a charity auction, and it's uh, all the money raised is um, helping with what's called uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. They also kind of refer to it as um, DMD uh, or just a Duchenne uh, syndrome. It affects probably fewer than 200,000 cases per year in the U.S., but that's still a lot. Um, and, you know, people really seem to come out for these. And I, I will say the the brands that participate in this, too, really are um, some some of the top brands, which is great to see, you know, like Audemars Piguet, Patek Philippe, um, Tudor, Blancpain, um, F.P. Journe, Moser. Show part, you know, tons. So, what are those lots that really stood out to me? Well, of course, you know the the lot that everyone is talking about. There's two lots here, really, that everyone's already covered. Probably Ignazium. One is the FP Journe and Francis Ford Coppola uh, collab, just called the FFC Blue. And it's hard to describe it in words. It's almost like you need to see pictures, or even better yet, you really need to see a video. But it's almost like an automaton where it has almost like a, a metal gauntlet glove and the fingers and thumb move in and out, almost like doing sign language to tell you, you know, one a different 12, you know, one of 
12 different positions of the fingers for the hours. And then at the top is a rotating bezel uh, for the minutes. And it's sold for four and a half million dollars. Um, amazing. It really is a really, really unique um, and unusual way to tell time. And there's a great story around it um, where, um, you know, Francis Ford Coppola's wife apparently bought him an F.P. Jorn watch. And F.P. Jorn, you know, knows who owns his watches and happened to be in California and visited him. And that's where uh, Francis Ford Coppola again, famous movie director, but had asked him if he had ever heard of a watch telling time like that. I don't even know how the director had, had come up thinking about telling time with a, a single hand. Um, and it almost became a challenge for, for Jorn. And uh, this was the result of it, this kind of one of one. And um, really, really interesting. And talk about it's iconic and unique and just, um, just, you know, gave me even more respect for, for Jorn and, and what they're doing. Um, the watch that I thought was just plain cool was lot 26. The H Moser did a streamliner tourbillon uh, with the Vanta black dial underneath that sold for, um, $750,000. Um, and again, you know, the prices these go for even the estimates, like none of it matters cause it's all for charity. Um, you know, the, the Tudor Black Bay, um, which was lot 50. So it was uh, near almost the very end. Uh, you know, and you look at this and, you know, the estimate on this watch was between four and eight thousand dollars. It hammered at six hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars. So uh, just a few multiples. Um, uh, more, um, <laughs> and this is for a black bay. It is a GMT, mind you, but still, um, with a display back, uh, it is a, a really cool watch though. Um, and it's amazing that it sold for over half a million dollars. Um, so I thought that that was really nice. The other watch that went for big money that I just thought was gorgeous was lot 12, which was a, a Breguet. Type 20, it sold for uh, $250,000. You know, if money was no object, that definitely would have been one of my picks. And, you know, I think it's so interesting. Over the years, I've I've looked at only watch. It seems like in the last several years, Breguet brings out, I mean, it's usually like a Type 20 or Type 21, I believe, uh, in the last couple of years when I'm thinking about it. Uh, and they're just drop-dead gorgeous. And I wanted to, like, shake Breguet and tell them like, you just need to be making these watches for regular folks. These need to be regular production models because they're just achingly beautiful. And, you know, I think a lot of people feel like Breguet has kind of lost their way. Um, I certainly feel that way a bit. Um, I think there's not another watch brand that has more potential, more historical back catalog things that they could riff on or pull from um and this one that they put in only watch uh its estimate was thirty five thousand to fifty thousand of course it, it blew through it uh, by five times you know um to land at a quarter of a million but and it's like a bronze colored dial but it has this matte finish to it super super clean watch um 
this is what I want Breguet uh, to be making. No date, uh, chronograph, just, oh, you'll have to see pictures. Again, I'll post them in the show notes. I'll link to this. This is, again, was um, lot number 12, but really, really nice. Um, and then two watches, I'm going to say, were bargains in Only Watch. And there's not a lot of bargains in Only Watch. Because, again, it's a charity auction. Um, but Lot 17 was a Chopard Alpine Eagle. And remember, these are all one-of-ones, right? Um, yeah, and the Chopard's already uh, not a cheap watch. But it, their Alpine Eagle had this really unique stone dial. And it's the chronograph version. And it sold for um, $80,000. Whoever bought that, I think, just got an amazing watch. It looks gorgeous. And it kind of... You know, reminded me of a watch that just came out not too long ago, which was Oris um, came out with a, a watch where it has that recycled plastic for the dial, and each dial is kind of, you know, one of one. So when you want to buy one, you really need to go to the AD and have them pull them all out, What you know, the stock that they have, so you can find which is the, the one that speaks to you the most. And uh, again, this like Chopard, I'm like, they should just be making this watch because this is so cool, and each dial would look um, unique for the the owner. And I think when you're spending that much on a watch anyways, you know, you kind of want it to, to be unique if, if you can. The other watch um, that I think was, again, bargain is probably a tough word to use in, in these regards, but um, was the Laurent Ferrier, um, which was lot 33. This is, well, you know, Everything Laurent Ferry does is just gorgeous to begin with. I think we can all agree there. They just have this like understated elegance that is just, um, you know, just is, I don't know. They just have, they've got their design aesthetic uh, nailed down. Uh, this watch sold for $160,000, which is a lot of money. I mean, I'm not... Uh, I'm not going to say uh, that it it wasn't, but um, you know, for that watch, which is normally probably a I don't know thirty thousand, forty thousand dollar watch to begin with, that's not a huge multiple that it went for, and just had a, a really pretty like um, almost to me it looks like a pistachio colored dial, um, and then you know the the other really big lot everyone was you know has been talking about. I don't know if there's really anything else that uh needs to be said about it but the lot 41 you know the paddock philippe um you know complicated desk clock <laughs> you know and for it you know its estimate was four hundred thousand to five hundred thousand. again estimates mean nothing um but when you think about that you know it went for um what nine and a half million dollars for a, a clock um that's that's really impressive. Again, um, that's a lot of money going to a, a, a worthy cause. Um, <laughs> the, the only thing I don't like about this, and the you know the, the clock, you can't, you really can't find fault with it. Um, you know, it it has all the you know bells and whistles you would hope for. You know, it's um, you know it uh, has a power reserve indicator, which is thirty one days, perpetual calendar, moon phase. You know, weak number display, uh, which used to, I used to always call that like a, a banker um, complication because it always seemed like bankers needed to know like what's the number of the week 
um, you know, uh, when there's uh, 52 weeks in the year, um, there used to, they used to be kind of a very traditional complication. Um, it, it's a gorgeous clock. Uh, the only thing I don't like about it is at the bottom of the clock and kind of like imprinted in like taupe or brown letters on the wood, um, as, and it faces you, if you're reading the clock, it says the only one. And I just, I just think that goes without saying when you look at a clock like this, or maybe you could engrave it on the back. Um, but it seems a little heavy handed that, uh, Paddock decided is to put in, in all capital letters, I might add in, um, you know, uh, a sans serif font, <laughs> the only one, um, and then, well, the fonts are all over the place with with this clock because it's almost using like that um, typewriter face uh, font as well, um, which is very traditional for uh, Patek Philippe. But uh, and then they just have the only one. It almost looks like it's in um, you know Helvetica or something at, at the bottom. Um, just seems a, again a little heavy-handed for me. But anyways, um, there's the two uh, charity auctions. Oh, and on Only Watch, I think it's always worthy uh, to call out, too, was there any dogs of the auction? Um, I think there was three dogs in this auction, meaning watches that, A, did not go for a lot of money, uh, and two, um, well, they probably didn't deserve, eh, I can't say they didn't deserve, because all the money's going to charity anyways, but regardless, um, the Maurice Lacroix went for 30000 the Paralette went for 26000 and what I think is the funniest, the Jacob and Co., watch that was in the auction went for um 40,000. And especially when you compare these to like what the Brigade did or I mean again the the Sherpard Alpine Eagle went for for twice that at 80,000, right? Um you know and it makes me wonder is it because of what these brands offered up maybe a little bit. But I think it also even though this was a charity auction and I'm telling you that the prices aren't based in reality. But I think the comparative prices to each other and to the other lots, you can compare. And so it kind of does make me wonder, you know, I think all three of these brands don't have a great reputation. And um, and why is that? Um, you know, and we could unpack it maybe another time. But uh, and if you look at what they're offering, they just weren't maybe that um, exciting of, of models. Um, it would have been interesting to, you know, what these brands maybe could have done differently. Obviously, Jacob and company offers really high-end watches, and they did not um, offer one into into this auction. Um, again, still great. You know, the three of them collectively uh, still raised, um, you know, uh, nearly $100,000 to the results. Uh, but when you compare that to a, a desk clock that raised $9.5 million, um, you know, just um, food for thought. Anyways, those are the two uh, charity auctions I wanted to cover. Now let's get into um, the ones where there was no charity component. It's just, um, you know, cold, hard dollars that people are spending for watches they want for their own personal uh, selfish reasons, uh, which we can all uh, appreciate and that's probably how most of the time we're buying watches too, right? They're they're for ourselves. Uh, we're most of us aren't buying watches um, to then donate to charity or uh, you know whatnot. So first up, let's talk about Philips and their Geneva watch auction. It was held on uh, November fifth and seventh. 
um, you know, the big watch that's been making the news here uh, was lot 53. And this was a, a pretty big auction too, I might add. There was 250 lots total. Um, so, you know, the the big one that that came out, again, lot 53, this Omega Speedmaster Broad Arrow, you know, says early important stainless steel watch. It's a speedy, which is great. And it does have, without a doubt, the nicest tropical dial uh, you're going to find. It has patinaed from black to just the, the richest uh, brown. Um, you know, almost like uh, you have a cup of coffee and you just started, uh, you know, pouring the, the, the creamer into it. The estimate for this was eighty to $120,000, which if you think about for a steel... Uh, Speedmaster is a lot of money, and it sold. You know, it sold for uh, three point one million. And I should say too, all the prices I'm giving on all these auctions really are um, Swiss francs. So the U.S. dollar equivalent is actually even higher than that. Um, you know, that's the watch everyone's talking about. But to me, you know, if we're talking Omega for a moment in this auction, um, just a few lots before it you know, lot 49, this is the one you want. Uh, this is also Speedmaster, um, but this is part of the limited edition where it was solid yellow gold with a red burgundy bezel. I love this watch. It's reference BA145.022. Um, you know, this is uh, number 298 out of... Uh, you know, uh, 1,014 pieces. This was produced in 1969. This watch is gorgeous. Um, the estimate was twenty-five dollars to $45,000, which is still less than what you would pay for a modern-day yellow gold Submariner, right? And this is a solid yellow gold vintage Omega Speedmaster, and it sold for uh, $44,000. So... It didn't even hit its high uh, estimate. Um, you know, maybe what hurt this is Omega, you know, kind of re-released uh, a newer version of this watch. Uh, but man, when you can get the original, um, why not? You know, the uh, only other thing that I thought was kind of surprising from an Omega standpoint um, was Lot 47, which was what I kind of call these um, Schumacher dialed um, Speedmasters, where they're usually really bright colors. This was a, a bright blue, but this one was for cart, um, you know, racing series. Uh, and this one had an estimate between twelve and eighteen thousand. Um, anyway, it's cool though. It has a presentation box and sign letter. It says offered to Bill Mann from Paul Newman and, and Carl Haas as co-owners of the Newman Haas Racing Team. Um, and on the back, it's engraved Newman Haas Racing, 1997. So not a particularly old watch. So it probably is more of a, a provenance play than anything. The estimate was twelve to 18000 And to me, that's probably, you know, this watch is only a couple thousand dollar watch. Uh, but with that provenance, yeah, maybe it's worth twelve to 18000 It sold for $47,000. Um, and again, it's a, a 39 millimeter, um, you know, Speedmaster, so I kind of even consider that the the reduced one. Uh, you know, other things to note that really um, 
popped out to me. <laughs> Lot 43, it was a Zenith El Primero. And this is like their, you know, um, it's again that A384 case. Uh, and this was a, a Bamford collaboration with Zenith that was only available on Mr. Porter. Well, and one, I don't know who does the auction catalogs, but the estimate was between three and 5,000 uh, Swiss francs, which is comical for a brand new titanium Zenith El Primero, if you ask me. Um, uh, it's a 37 millimeter case. I actually bought a very similar watch to this, the um, you know Shadow Tribute watch that Zenith did, same case, same titanium, uh, you know, kind of bead blasted case. Uh, and it was no date. This one has a really pretty uh, navy blue dial, but it does have a, a big white date window, you know, at 430. Uh, and, and the sub, you know, registers are, are black. Um, and that, you know, tribute to, to um, Shadow is a, a cool watch. This one's, I think, is equally cool. Um, but again, the estimate between three and five thousand for a watch when it was new, I think, was selling for, I don't know, probably between seven and ten thousand. Um, but regardless, and again, this was just a, you know fifty piece limited edition, and I think these sat uh, around. I remember looking at Mister Porter and looking at these, and they sat around for a while. Um, and this sold again estimate three to five. What do you think? Sold for twenty five thousand, um, which just I, I can't figure it out um, for a modern day Zenith El Primero. And, and frankly, I returned my, um, um, you know, shadow tribute Zenith because it was just too small. It's a 37 millimeter that I, frankly, I feel like it, it wears small as well. Um, so I, I thought that was um, just interesting. And then, of course, today I'm coming to you uh, on uh, Tuesday, November 9th, but Tomorrow, Tudor releases their new collaboration with uh, Marie Nationale, which is going to be super exciting, I think, for, for most of us uh, to see what that ends up looking like. And in this Phillips auction, Lot 55 was a, a vintage um, Tudor Submariner Marie Nationale. And um, frankly, I think these deserve what they go for, you know, the estimate was between 12 and 24,000, pretty broad estimate, if you ask me. Uh, but it had all the right provenance, had the right engraving on the case back, the, you know, anodized bezel, the, the dial, the hands, the loom, everything just looks um, brilliant to me. And, um, and it obviously did for someone else because, and this is circa 1980, um, it sold for 36,000. Uh, so well above that top estimate of 24,000 and, uh, what a gorgeous watch. And you have to think, you know, it's going to go one way or the other when Tudor releases, you know, kind of the, the update to this watch, uh, tomorrow is either it's going to bring even more renewed interest and scholarship and passion to these Tudor Marine Nationals, in which case the, the buyer of this watch probably got a deal as they keep going up in value and you're kind of seeing that effect i feel like with blanc pond as they're releasing newer uh, versions of the 50 fathoms i do think that has helped propel vintage 50 fathoms forward um but you also potentially have the opposite right if people can get a new one um for you know three or four thousand dollars that maybe they feel superior to the vintage one then the vintage one might um, 
you know, values might go down because, uh, you know, if people were buying these because they wanted those snowflake hands and those square um, hour indices and couldn't get it anywhere else, and now there's a, a modern watch where they can, well, then that now they don't need to pay that premium uh, to scratch that that itch potentially. Um, the lot right after this Tudor uh, lot 56 was a, a Blanc Pond 50 Fathoms uh, Aqua Lung. Um, this is a gorgeous watch. Its estimate was 25 to 50, and it went for 88, worth every single penny. You know, when I think of the craziness in the vintage Rolex market, um, you know, sometimes 88,000 can't get you, uh, you know, today what it maybe it could in the past, especially if you think of like Daytonas and things, or even maybe super rare explorers or, or submariners. But um, man, my money would be on this Blanc Pond uh, all, all day long. Um, you know, otherwise going through it, you know, you, you see the same kind of craziness again, you know, whoever's doing the estimates, um, man, they lowball them, you know, a uh, lot 69 is a, you know, your standard Patek Philippe, uh, 57, 11 Nautilus, uh, and their estimate started at 40,000 and, and come on, we all know that, um, these watches trade all day long for, um, you know, uh, usually right around a hundred thousand. And this one sold for 113. So um, pr pretty much in, in line there. Um, but, you know, and uh, the other thing I think is so interesting is when you see uh, brand new watches. Um, and so like lot 76 is a Patek Philippe reference 5236P. This watch just got released. Um, the estimate was 50,000 to 100,000. Um, to refresh your memory, this is that really pretty like navy blue dial paddock fleet where it has um, day of week, the date, and the month. And it's, um, you know, all in a row just um, at 12 o'clock, just below the paddock fleet in Geneva writing. It has it just almost like a desk calendar, how you would, you know, flip the the blocks of wood or the, you know, flaps to say, okay, you know, it's September 21st, August, um, and this watch does it all with, um, you know, over, um, you know, stacked um, dials. Uh, it's so, so cool. This watch came out just a couple months ago. Uh, again, the estimate was between 50 and 100,000. I can't remember what these sold for new. Um, it, you know, platinum, perpetual calendar is not, not cheap, um, but this one sold for 170,000. So almost um, you know, 70%, uh, above it's a uh, high estimate. Um, not saying it's not worth it though, but you know, for a watch that, you know, I, I don't think this is a limited edition and it's brand new in the catalog. It's going to be around for a while. Um, but obviously someone who really wanted it, uh, was willing to, um, pay for, it. you know, this is not like a green Nautilus where there's only a, you know, a hundred of them, uh, floating around, you know, that, watch potentially is going to be made for um a, a while and then you know there's just some weird things sometimes you you see uh, going on in the marketplace too um you know auction lot in this phillips of you know 86 was a, a dead bethune 87 was um this um ludovic um uh, uh baluard where you know you have these circle discs with the one through 12 for the hour markers and they're all upside down except for whatever hour it actually is 
Um, and then that spins correct and also has a white indicator dot. You know, again, he's making those. Uh, the estimate was between twenty and thirty thousand. It sold for sixty thousand. And and great news for Deb Bethune. You know, the estimate on that one was twenty to forty, and it sold for eighty-eight thousand. Um, you know, oh, and then uh, eighty-eight. You know, Bulgari, the Octo uh, Finissimo. This was the uh, you know the Taito Ando, um, his first collaboration with them. You know, you remember he did two. The first one to me almost has like this Doppler effect dial or Zen Garden like dial. Reminded reminds me of a, a Rado I used to have that kind of a similar dial. Um, estimate was between six and nine, sold for thirty five thousand. That's impressive for a modern day. Granted, it's a limited edition, but you know, I don't think those are that hard to find. Frankly, maybe they are now, but they weren't. Um, and then, you know, 89 is a, just a modern day Tudor Black Bay Herod's edition. And, uh, you know, estimate was between two and 3,000. Again, that's a complete joke. I, a friend of mine was actually on the, um, you know, shout out to my friend Tyler. He was on the wait list for one of these, got the call and was able to, to pick it up. We actually had a friend pick it up for us. And, um, you know, brand new, if you can even get it, it's, uh, you know, I think around like uh, four or five thousand. I don't know why the estimate here would have been two thousand, but regardless, sold for uh, seventy five hundred. And again, that's uh, Swiss francs. Um, you know, lot ninety two is just a, a fifty sixty five Aquanaut. Uh, estimate was fifteen to twenty five thousand. Sold for forty four thousand. I just sometimes have a hard time wrapping my head around, um, you know, kind of the smaller Aquanauts going for. Uh, that big of money. Um, and then a uh, lot 100 was the new grand Seiko's, uh, you know, starry sky. If you remember this watch when it came out and again, this is not an old watch, you know, it came out in 2017. It does have, uh, to me, one of my very favorite movements that grand Seiko does, which I'm so glad they're really, or maybe starting to listen to people. Cause I've been telling everyone at grand Seiko, I can find that, um, their manual wind, uh, spring drive movements, I think are so cool. And so this one does have that nine R, zero one, um, a two movement and it's eight day power reserve and the power reserves on the back of the dial, which I think is so much better than having it on the front. Um, you know, estimate for this was 20 to 40,000. Again, though, this was a, a very expensive watch, uh, when it came out, it's 43, um, millimeter diameter so it's pretty big and it's 18 karat solid pink gold case um and this was a uh, a limited edition too if i'm not mistaken and um it sold for uh, 60,000 which is great to see with modern grand seiko um just going through here you know they had um you know i think this is maybe another one that people really talked about was lot 114 which is um the Rolex day date rainbow. So a lot of people know about like the Daytona rainbows, uh, but this is a, a, a day date version. Um, I have to say, if you're going to go rainbow, I probably have a slight uh, preference for how Audemars Piguet does the kind of the rainbow bezels. Uh, they've done that a couple times on their um, Royal Oaks. I think those are done really, really, really well, but I will say this, and I'm not even a day date guy in this, um, Rolex rainbow day date is just beautiful circa 1987 small 36 millimeter case. I think I would rock this though. 
and the estimate was 150 to 300 thousand dollars, which, you know, for a solid gold day date with a rainbow uh, dial uh, bezel, excuse me, and, and rainbow indices to match, which is pretty sweet. Um, that's probably what they really did think this would go for, and it just totally blew past that um, and and ended at um, 792 thousand dollars so you know two and a half times the high end on the on the estimate um of course you know you see some crazy things like with um you know the philip defour that went for you know three quarters of a million dollars and it's great seeing um you know roger smith uh, still command such um uh, strong values uh um, for his watches but uh, that is really the main things. Interesting for those who, again, are always interested in like modern day Rolex. This is always something that's interested in me. There was a, a Tiffany Blue um, 41 millimeter, um, you know, one of the new Stella dial uh, Oyster Perpetuals uh, in the auction, you know, circa 2020, right? They just came out last year. Um, estimate again, four to seven. That's, you know, watch retails for what maybe 5000 pretty much on the nose um you see them you know trading for maybe around 14 would be my guess uh and this one sold for almost 19 189 so um just um really interesting uh some of these results i was going to say oh and <laughs> of course you know we can't help but mention the box, the FP Jorn box, lot 143 in the Phillips auction. You know, I think people are talking about this maybe even more than any, you know, than uh, that, um, you know, patinaed uh, in chocolate brown, broad arrow, you know, um, uh, Omega Speedmaster is, they're talking about this FP Jorn box. And I will say, when I think about, watch collectors spending crazy money on things that just make no sense. You know, I finally have wrapped my head around people spending, what is it? Five, $10,000 on a cork original cork Nautilus box, you know, by Patek Philippe. Like I can almost get there now. Um, but, uh, you know, and I get it. If, if you have a Nautilus, you want it to be a complete set. And if that watch is now, going for a hundred thousand, you know, what's 5,000 to get the original box for it. Okay, fine. But for this, which is, it's an, it's a nice box, um, you know, for the, uh, subscription, um, watches, um, you know, it went for a lot flip side though, you know, this particular lot though, um, the proceeds were going to, to charity. And so it was offered at no preserve. Um, I love that the estimate was, between one and two um, thousand dollars, it was circa two thousand and four. Uh, and again, um, you know, it's it's just a box really to hold. Um, you know, it's like a five watch set, and it's just the box, and it sold for a hundred thousand dollars. But you know, if you're um, maybe a super high end uh, FP Jorn collector, and perhaps a um, new FP Jorn collector, and you have some of these watches. Uh, but you weren't able to get the box. Well, maybe that's your only chance to. Um, and again, knowing it went to charity, you know, obviously helped uh, quite a bit. And, you know, there was a Philip DeFore uh, box uh, that was also up in the auction. Um, and again, the proceeds went to charity. So you can't 
really vaulted. And again, the estimate was between one and two thousand, and it's sold for thirty-seven thousand. It only holds one watch, though, so maybe uh, maybe that's why it went for a bit less. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, really, really nice. Uh, you know, they Phillips really does do a, a fantastic job. Um, with the watches that they select and curate for their auctions though. Cause really each of these for the right collector, I think, um, um, you know, there's really something for, for everyone. Uh, the thing the, you know, the trend I'm seeing that I won't say frustrates me. I just can't wrap my head around, but there's probably a lot of things I can't wrap my head around are, um, you know, Vacheron Constantine, uh, model two, two, twos, you know, these, Predominantly are stainless steel. It's kind of their first foray, in, I think, into an integrated stainless steel bracelet, you know, watch. I don't know if I'd even call it a sports watch, but I, I like to think of it as like maybe it was their response to um, Patek Philippe's Nautilus. Maybe it was their, their response to Audemars Piguet's Royal Oak. Um, I've never thought of these watches as particularly pretty. I mean, they're not terrible, but. Um, you know, I can remember, um, you know, 10 years ago, these did not go for that much. These really were the ugly uh, ducklings in that kind of realm. And, um, you know, now, you know, it, this Phillips auction, it, the one they had, this is lot 165, um, had an estimate between 20 and, uh, you know, $30,000. And it sold for $157,000 38 millimeter 1977 stainless steel um unbelievable if you ask me i i cannot uh my brain breaks thinking about spending that much money uh on that watch uh, when i think about the opportunity cost um last watch i really want to talk about in this auction one of my um Man, if you want a bellwether for Cartier, this is it. Um, I love this watch. And you just heard me earlier say I'm not huge into Cartier, and I'm absolutely not. There's a few modern ones I I have my eye on. But the one, Neo Vintage one, I've always had my eye on. Ever since uh, Houdinki did um, a report about a, really what was like a social function at, uh, you know, um, a watch store, I think in Connecticut, Manfredi's may hope maybe I'm saying that right. I'm probably not, but, uh, it's this little Tortu mono pusher. Um, it's a Tourneau shaped case. Um, and I can remember seeing that. I'm like, man, I love that watch. It's a white gold case, really cool movement. I have a soft spot for mono pushers. It's uh, blue on a white dial you know, uh, Breguet hands. Uh, so cool. Would wear a little small on me. I think it's, um, 37 millimeters, but I've just always liked it. And I can remember seeing them on Chrono 24. There's one in Germany, the last one in Germany. Uh, and I had followed it for six months. And I think the asking price was $12,000 estimate on this one was 20 to $40,000 and it sold for $60,000. And the last couple, you know, this is like, you know, Again, what's that one thing you always look for? This is one of those. I'm always looking at the prices of these because I just, to me, this watch is the the best single 
reference indicator of the Cartier market, in my opinion. I don't know why I feel that way. I just do. Maybe for other people, it's uh, Cartier crashes, but I think that's a little too hype-driven. I don't feel like this watch is hype-driven. Maybe that's why. Um, it's just a really, really good watch. Um, I don't know if it's really deserves that $60,000 price tag, but I guess in today's world it does. Um, it definitely probably deserved to be more than $12,000, uh, you know, six years ago or five years ago. Um, so there, you know, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, but, um, yeah, these watches, uh, in this particular reference, they did, um, quite a few. And this again was also part of that, um, CPCP group, which actually was, yeah, the Cartier Privé Paris collection. Um, and I think because people like Jorn helped work on these and, um, you know, uh, movements and designs is probably what's, um, pushing it up because for, Jorn collectors and others, you know, there maybe this is an accessible way to kind of have something, um, you know, adjacent um, in their collection. Oh, excuse me, it's 34 millimeters wide, uh, 43 millimeters length. So, yeah, that's a tiny little guy. Circa 2010, by the way, when these originally came out. Um, and these, you know, were, again, was that sort of watch where they came out, the retail price was higher, but then they, they dropped in price, right? Um, there was a depreciation on this watch, but um, definitely um, no longer. Those those days are gone, but still, I, I really love that um, entire color scheme. And I really wish more um, watch brands came out with um, really pretty white dials with uh, blue. I just think that's a really classy look. And it wears great on a, you know, then a, a navy strap, a brown strap, a black strap, anything that looks good there. Um, Interesting, a white dial 5711 auction lot 203 in this Phillips auction. It sold for 144,000 Swiss francs. So um, the white dials are definitely commanding uh, a higher premium. Um, so that's, uh, I think that's really the big things I wanted to hit on uh, with the uh, Phillips auction. Okay, and the next auction I wanted to cover was Antiquorum's Important Modern and Vintage Timepieces. This was their big auction in Geneva for the fall. Um, it ran from November 6th to 7th. The thing I love about Antiquorum is, um, you know, where maybe other uh, uh, auction houses maybe really want to curate and, and keep a really tight uh, group. I think um, there's a lot of old school collectors that love Antiquorum, and so uh, their auctions usually are just brimming full with lots um there was 563 lots in their auction which really means there's something for everyone and for uh beginning watch collectors i would definitely say get on their uh, mailing list because there was a, a lot of bargains in this right we haven't really been talking about bargains much with these auctions you didn't see a lot of bargains uh at the phillips auction uh, and you certainly didn't with um, only watch um but with Antiquorum and this auction that just ended, um, absolutely there was. There was even a few watches that um, you could tell they didn't show up for sale price, meaning that they didn't even hit their low reserve. So that that really tells you something, too. And I don't know if it really tells you. I don't think it's a bellwether of the strength of the watch market. Um, maybe it's just the hype or prestige uh, that some of the auction houses like Christie's or Phillips can command where maybe Antiquorum... Um, can't as much any uh, as much uh, anymore. 
but that being said, again, um, you know, 500 lots is a lot. Uh, there's just a handful uh, that I thought were um, interesting. Um, you know, if you want to talk about bargains, I'll, I'll give you some bargains. Lot 32. Why didn't you bid on this? I'm kicking myself for not bidding on this. Omega, Seamaster, Ploprof, circa 1971. Okay. Gorgeous uh, condition watch. Um, it's a big boy, right? The estimate was um, four to 6,000 Swiss francs. It sold for 5,500 Swiss francs. Y- you can't buy a new Ploprof anywhere near that price. And here it is, a, um, a vintage one uh, going for that. Um, man, what a, a killer-looking watch. And what a great price. So, um, you know, and then they had uh, a rare manual wine, 18-carat, yellow gold, um, Omega, Speedmaster. Excuse me, it's a Seamaster chronograph. I love the um, kind of barrel cushion case on these, circa 1968. Estimate on this was four to six. It it blew past that estimate, but still ninety five hundred dollars um, for solid gold, eighteen karat yellow gold Omega. With might I add, you know, eighteen karat yellow gold bracelet um, chronograph, pretty sweet um, and a good modern size, thirty eight uh, millimeters wide, forty three millimeters tall. Uh, that's lot thirty five. Um, yeah, really strong. You know what um, kind of warms my heart, and you'll see this in the Christie's auction next. But there's there was a lot of pocket watches in the Antiquorum auction, and I feel like um, you know you really need to be really into watches to spend money on uh, pocket watches because you're probably not going to wear it out, right? Whereas if we buy a wristwatch. A lot of people buying wristwatches is so they can flex it, right? They're at that business meeting or they're at that lunch or event, whatever. They feel good having on, you know, great suit, sharp shoes, and a, and a killer watch. The people spending money on pocket watches, I don't think are really using them. They're staying, you know, those puppies are staying at home. Um, you know, maybe they get displayed out on a bookshelf, but they're probably going to spend uh, their life in a drawer uh, so when you uh, spend money on one, it, it really means that you uh, you you love them. Um, and there was some really great ones. I mean, Lot 46, uh, uh, Ulysses Nardan in an 18-karat gold hunting case with original box, you know, and that sold for $2,500. Um, so, yeah, definitely some some strong uh, bargains uh, in the, uh, the clock and watch space here. Um, and then, but, you know... I say that, but then you look at like um, lot 83 for a second, which was uh, also a um, pocket watch, but it's an Audemars Piguet. Again, this is a pocket watch. Perpetual calendar, split second chronograph, minute repeater, uh, enamel dial, white gold. You know, the estimate on this was 45 to 65,000 Swiss francs. It sold for 175,000 Swiss francs. Um, I mean, I'm not going to call this a Graves uh, super complication pocket watch, but um, this is pretty close to being the next best thing, in my opinion. 49 millimeters uh, 
wide, circa 1912, completed in 1923, sold to um, uh, Gubelin in February of 1924. So tons of provenance. Um, yeah, what a, a cool watch. And interesting, though, then, and I don't know how I think about this, but then when I look at lot um, 142, you get a very similar Audemars Piguet platinum perpetual calendar with minute repeater. Um, but here the estimate was only 20 to 40,000. Again, it blew through it, but sold for 56,000. And it, this was also made around the same time, made in 1924. Uh, uh, gorgeous watch, has these big yellow gold, uh, you know, Breguet uh, numerals on the dial. Um, and I just love, uh, when I see these, uh, you know, old platinum just has, uh, kind of has its own type of patina to it that you just can't, um, you just can't, uh, duplicate, uh, lot 145 going back to brigade, a type 20, but here's your, you know, the real deal circa 1954 estimate was between 10 and 20 sold for 47,000. This is a no date. This is a beautiful watch um sterile dial though it doesn't even say brigade on the dial anywhere um it almost looks like a an homage or a, or one of these like no name micro brands uh which is which is pretty funny but obviously it's um it's significant um you know that's probably the sort of thing brigade should be uh, making more of uh in my opinion um and maybe less of, of some of the other things that they're doing. But, um, and, you know, again, with, uh, you know, an auction of this size, there's just so many good bargains. Um, you know, uh, another bargain I wanted to bring up as I was perusing the uh, catalog, you know, look at an auction like, um, you know, Lot 151 on here. It's a Breitling... Reference 806 Navitimer. What a classic watch. Like, you can't get more classic than this watch. You know, um, chronograph. This is 41 millimeters, so, you know, nice and big. Circa 1965. Gold plate, but that's fine. I don't care. You know, the estimate was $1,800 to $2,800. It sold for uh, $3,000. I mean, a new one's going to set you back probably two or three times that. I'm telling you, this watch um, looks amazing. Uh, the Breitling logo is super cool. Um, nice even patina and wear on on the loom. I just love the uh, the gold plated case, and then you have uh, you know kind of a white and black, um, you know, almost like reverse panda uh, with the dial. Just um, just really really cool. And again, you know, a watch like that was $3,000 at auction. And so um, tons of great things. And then, of course, you know, I can't help it. Uh, when we're talking auctions, I got to look to see, okay, how did uh, JLC do? What were the JLC lots? Because I love uh, Le Cool. There was 13 um, Jaeger lots here. Um, you know, interesting, one of them was uh, an, an Ambox Aston Martin titanium uh, watch that didn't even meet reserve, um, which was a, a bummer. Um, 
the and they had kind of a nice small 33 millimeter pink gold um you know pointer date watch it sold for five thousand the one that stood out to me though again i think this is uh you know welcome to bargain town you know this is um reference e859 memovox polaris uh you know i used to have the tribute to polaris uh here's the real deal uh, this one made in 1965. Estimate was between ten and fifteen thousand. It sold for eighteen thousand seven hundred and fifty. You know the tribute's going to set you back anywhere between twelve and eighteen thousand. And here you can have the original. And this one came with the original box and papers. Like I can't believe this. Um, it's on this cool, like Eterna, you know, gay phrase, Contiki uh, bracelet. It's dated 1961, which is pretty interesting. Um, but to have, you know, fitted box, blank warranty, and an extract from the uh, JLC archives. Um, you know, and you think about how much a comparable diver from 1965 would run you, let's say from today, from Rolex or Blanc Pond. The, the JLC, you know, compressor case, you know, Memovox Polaris is just as good as those, in my opinion super more interesting really cool manual wind movement with you know a- alarm and um you know it's going for for eighteen thousand. so um just uh, really interesting there was also another reference 876 memo box um had an estimate between two and four thousand super clean i used to have this watch too but in a blue dial this one's from 1970 and um you know it's 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 estimates between two and four thousand it sold for 3,700. So, um, you know, right in there. Uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about, well, actually I'm going to talk about three more. Sorry. You know me, I can't help it when I, I see, um, all these, uh, JLCs, I just get so excited, but they also, man, this for, you know, 563 lots, a lot of good gems in here. And here you have a geophysique, um, you know, a chronometer steel. This is the original guy from 1958. I used to have the tribute to this one too. Uh, this one did blow through its estimate of between eight and 14,000 Swiss francs. It sold for 23,000 Swiss francs. Again, I think this is a watch that's had a lot of renewed interest. Um, I still think the uh, tribute one that came out uh, a few years ago is a fantastic watch. Um, I've been chasing a couple of those and, you know, it's a, the, the new modern reinterpretation that was also a limited edition, you know, you can get for about 8,000 right now. So, but it was great to see that the vintage one's getting uh, the love that it deserves. And then, you know, I love the earlier Neo Vintage limited editions. And um, one of the earlier uh, Reverso limited editions, this, t- in this point, it's the 2003 Perpetual Calendar. It had an estimate between ten and fifteen thousand, which yeah, is super low for a perpetual calendar reverso with a solid eighteen karat pink gold case. You know, um, yeah, I, come on, it, it sold for twenty six thousand, um, and um, totally worth it. And then the last is they actually had kind of an unusual um, Atmos clock um, with a, a red lacquer uh, effect uh, on the panels. Um, I, I haven't seen this one uh, very often at all. Uh, and the estimate was between one and 2000. It sold for 1300. I mean, what a killer uh, clock for 1300. It's no only watch Patek Philippe 
you know, uh, desk clock. Again, that was nine and a half million dollars, though. Um, and then the final auction I wanted to bring up was Christie's, uh, which was uh, November 8th, uh, was their auction, 120 lots. So pretty tight group. Um, again, they call it rare watches. This was in Geneva. The total sales and this uh, auction totaled over uh, 20, almost $23 million Swiss francs. Uh, so definitely over 23 million US dollars. Um, and I, I, sorry, I can't help it. I get a chuckle when I see the opening lots. And I understand you kind of have to ease people into the auction, right? You can't um, start with your heavy hitters um, day one. But uh, I did think it was interesting that lot three was a um, 2020, so just one year old, uh, Rolex, a Mariner, uh, Starbucks. Uh, interesting, they don't refer to it as a Starbucks, even though that's absolutely what it is. They like to just, they just kept calling it Kermit, um, even though they referenced the older Kermit from 2003, and now they're calling this one the Kermit too. But really, come on, no one calls this watch the Kermit with the uh, green ceramic uh, bezel. It's either calling it the Cermit, you know, for ceramic, Kermit, or you're calling it the Starbucks. Um, makes me feel good. I have this watch. Uh, surprisingly, though, the estimate was fourteen to twenty thousand. That's actually probably pretty accurate, um, you know, for a, a resale in one of these. And it realized thirty thousand Swiss francs. Um, again, this is a you know twelve six six one zero LV. Uh, just your your plain, uh, you know. Um, one with the the new you know 41 millimeter case with the thinner lugs uh and then you know from there they they went into uh they had a um kind of a new um ceramic pepsi gmt rolex uh estimate was 12 to eighteen thousand. it went for twenty five thousand. um and usually i feel like i'm seeing on the gray market that the pepsi gmt especially on jubilee seem to be even going more than the um you know the submariners like mine so um, and then I thought this tells you everything about the demand for the ceramic stainless steel Rolex Daytonas that lots nine and 10, nine was a black dial. 10 was the white dial with black bezel, right? Which seems to be the hotter of the two. They both had identical, uh, estimates, 14 to $24,000, which, you know, Estimates seem fine, a little low, right? And we would probably consider both of these to be in the thirty thousand uh, to maybe thirty-five, thirty-six thousand dollars range. I think um, the black dial was a twenty nineteen, the the white dial was a twenty twenty, but you know, same reference, everything. Black dial realized thirty-five thousand Swiss francs. What did the white dial go for? Fifty thousand Swiss francs. 15,000 more, almost 50% more than the black dial. Um, so interesting. And, you know, I'll tell you personally, I'm really torn on which I like better. Um, you know, my friend uh, John has the white dial. It's a fantastic watch. Um, and if you have a larger watch collection, it is a great piece to have because it can scratch a lot of kind of different itches. Um, but the black dial, like if I was going to have a really small watch collection, maybe of only like two or three watches, um, the black dial, maybe you could, um, you know, it could also be that Omega Speedmaster look uh, with it being all black and maybe it's a bit more of a strap monster. But um, 
So I'm always torn between which of these I like more. But I will say Rolex, Rolex does white dials better than anyone. Um, so there is that. Um, you know, lot 15 was your standard kind of like icy blue dial, platinum, um, Daytona, you know, with the with the brown ceramic bezel. I've, I've held this watch a bunch of times. It's heavy. Gorgeous watch. Estimate was seventy to one hundred and seventy thousand wide range. I think new it was what seventy eighty thousand. I think. Um, I think they, they still make this. This is circa twenty twenty one. This is like a brand new watch, and it realized um, two hundred thousand. Like I have to click on this. Like was this somehow money going to charity? And no. So I really wonder. Oh, I did have a diamond set on the indices. That's nice. Um, I don't know. I don't know if people are losing their minds or they just, uh, you know, have um, cash to burn a, a little bit. Um, and then real fast, again, this is kind of a smaller auction. Um, you know, the other lots that kind of stood out to me, it, it's always neat to see like FP, Jorn, um, just a, a chronometra. This was the the blue model circa 2015. I, I used to have a friend that had this watch. Um Estimate was twenty to forty thousand. Again, pretty low from a Jorn standpoint. It it realized sixty eight thousand. I actually don't think that um, that's a bad price for that watch. Honestly, I always thought the blue dials were a bit rare for the the chronometra. And then um, again, it's Jorn. I think that's only going to go up from there. I actually think that was um, a solid deal. And then I thought it was really interesting. There was a collection of pocket watches in the uh, Christie's auction. And most of them did very well. No surprise, though, that the majority of them were, um, you know, Breguet, which um, always kind of um, carries a premium. Um, and you'll remember we were just talking about in um, the Phillips auction, their Vacheron Constantine, um, you know, 222. And uh, there was one in the uh, Christie's lot, too, lot 67. And in this case, it um, had estimate from twenty to forty thousand, which I swear I really feel strongly that's what that watch should be worth. But you know what do I know? And um, it realized ninety three thousand for a stainless steel. And then super interesting, the very next lot is the same watch, but in solid gold. Much more interesting to me. I I do prefer the look of the steel, though, mind you. And it realized um, one hundred and thirty seven thousand. So. Um, you know, uh, over 40,000 more for, for solid, uh, yellow gold in that case. But I still can't believe that these two, two, twos are, are going for that much. Um, I'm not going to say it's a Royal Oak wannabe, but it's, um, it's a Royal Oak wannabe. So, and then the last things I wanted to cover, oh, you know, talk about watches that just pull on my heartstrings has got to be when I think of a watch like um, you know lot 109 which this is circa 2020 this is only a one-year-old watch and you'll remember this because this watch was you know covered pretty pretty well when it came out but it's the Audemars Piguet it's the Jumbo Royal Oak you know, so no secondhand, um, nice and thin. And they came out um, with a, um, it's an 18 karat white gold, mind you, not stainless steel, 
but it's it's just 39 millimeters wide, but it has that really lovely uh, salmon dial, that tapestry salmon dial on these white gold jumbos. You know, when this watch came out, and I think it really did just come out last year, can't can't uh, it can't be more than two years old, and um, I really thought this was one of the watches of the year. If you were to tell me, like you know, pick any five watches over the last uh, five years, this would absolutely be uh, in my list. I love this watch. I love the salmon dial. Um, I'm always a sucker for Royal Oaks, especially jumbos. Um, estimate was, and I think this watch is still being made, by the way. Um, estimate was eighty to one hundred and sixty thousand dollars. It realized two hundred thousand dollars for a watch that's uh, still being made. You know, it's just one year old. Um, super strong result. Uh, again, I'm I can't you know I'm not going to say it's not worth it. Uh, there was a bunch of Royal Oaks in this auction. You know, I could spend probably two hours just talking about the Royal Oaks and what their prices all mean. But um, I really really like those salmon dials, and so. Um, it just um, just uh, really spoke to me. And then the last thing I had to add was, what did they end the auction with? And um, what a ballsy move, Christie's. I'm going to give it to you. Your final lot in your rare watches. Again, I don't know if you can say modern Rolexes are rare, but uh, you know if you want to lead with that, that's fine. But you ended it with an hourglass. <laughs> and it's not just any hourglass but it's made by de beers um and it's you know circa 2000 so it's about 21 years old now estimate was between two and three thousand dollars um and you know i've seen these before and and what was so cool about it is it inside instead of sand because this is de beers right there's two thousand natural rough diamonds weighing in total 36 carats suspended in a silicone fluid um how how cool is that like think about like what do you get someone who has everything i think you get them this because i bet you uh whoever you're shopping for doesn't have an hourglass where instead of sand it's rough cut uh diamonds how cool is that again the estimate's super reasonable just two to three thousand because the the you know the hourglass itself is just brass you know but it is you know still full of, uh, uh, you know, a ton of diamonds and it realized uh, 21,000 Swiss francs. So, um, really, uh, something else just super cool though. Um, you know, that's, you know, I used to think the, the Mark Newsom, uh, hourglasses like that Houdinki cells were pretty much the epitome of cool, but, uh, I think this one kind of takes the cake. Anyways, there is your five, uh, watch auction recap uh for fall i hope you've enjoyed it i really have you know i think when you think about these results again the charity auctions are a whole nother um you know bag onto themselves but when i look at um what has been coming through with uh, the results in christie's in antiquorum and phillips what it tells me is the watch market is still very strong and it's very strong across the board not just for vintage uh, but for new, there's still a lot of pent-up demand for newer watches that aren't easily accessible, especially from Rolex, Audemars Piguet, and uh, Patek Philippe. And we're still seeing really strong prices for, for newer watches. Um, 
But I also say if you pick the right auction and you look at the right things, there are still some wonderful watches out there for um, beginning collectors or collectors on a budget. Again, look at some of the the ones we looked at uh, from the Antiquorum auction, you know, like that Breitling uh, Navitimer and some of the JLC lots. There's a, there was a ton of bargains in there. They had some amazing uh, IWC and Longines watches we could have uh, covered too uh, that you can explore. Um, but anyways, I digress a bit. Thank you so much. Hope you've enjoyed this. Um, I love our little hobby uh, with watches. Can't wait to talk to you again uh, next week. Um, and I'll see you online. And don't forget, I'll be putting the show notes up for this. May take just a day or so, um, but it'll be up on thegrumbycollector.com. Um, I try to keep the episodes in an hour. Uh, unfortunately, this one's going to blow a little bit beyond that. It was just too much to talk about. There's too much going on. Um, and I didn't want to leave uh, too many stones unturned. I hope you don't mind. And uh, see you next week. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>